Let's take a moment and go to the Lord in a word of prayer this morning. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father, that you are here with us. Lord, we have no way of imagining how much you desire to work in us and to work through our lives. Father, we pray that you might stretch our imagination. You might help us, Lord, to realize how much you care about us and how desperately, Lord, you seek to lead us in the journey that you would have us take and the lives you would have us touch along the way. Lord, open our hearts and our minds this morning. And we might realize, Lord, we're not just here doing church. Lord, that we have come here to be with you. That was the reason you established this thing we call church. We might have a place to gather together as a family before you. Lord, there are those here today who've never yet come to know you. And we pray that your Holy Spirit will tap on the door of their heart. And awaken them, Lord, to the reality of the salvation they can have. And the wonderful blessing of knowing you as their personal Savior. We thank you, Father, for that. We pray that you might guide us this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like to take you on a journey this morning in the 39th, beginning in the 39th chapter of the book of Genesis. I want to talk to you this morning about trusting God in the meantime. While your life seems to be on hold. How do you travel the road from the pit to the palace? How do you make your way from a time in life when life is not good to where God wants you to be? Before I begin our verses this morning, I want to read you one verse that I did not give them to put on the screen. I'm always throwing them curves up there, but later on in this book, he shares with us these words. In the 41st chapter, he says, and he named him his firstborn son, Manasseh. The translation was, because God has caused me to forget all my troubles in my father's house. Now, what in the world did that mean? You see, life had been hard for Joseph. He's about 32 years old when this son is born. But he left home at 17. Not of his own will or his own choice. But he had left home because his brothers, angry and jealous of him, had sold him into slavery. Seventeen-year-old boy sent out into the world as a slave. He had told him a dream that he had that God had given him. That one day he saw two sheaves and one was his and it stood tall and the others were his brothers and they all bowed before him. They didn't like him anyway. He was the younger He was the father's pet. They resented that. They resented him. They resented his attitude because in many ways he tried to live a good life. Even as a young 17-year-old boy. But he had tattled on them. They resented him. 
There was a certain amount of pride and arrogance in the life of this young boy. So he then would begin his journey at 17, sent away into slavery. But at 32, he says, God has caused me to forget all my troubles. And when he said, forget my father's house, he's not talking about the family back home that he loved. He's talking about what they did to him. And the anger and the hurt and the hate that he had had to fight off all of those years because of how he'd been treated. God had taken all that away. But how do you get from point A to point B? How do we get from where we are to where God wants us to be? How do we get from being saved or being lost to being saved? How do we get from wondering where I will spend eternity one moment to realizing the next that no matter what happens to me, I will step foot from this place into a place called heaven and live with a sense of peace and confidence and assurance that passeth all understanding? How do you get from point A to point B? Let me take you on a little journey this morning. In the 39th chapter of the book of Genesis. First few verses beginning in chapter 39 beginning with verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. And Potiphar an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials. The captain of the guard bought him from the Ishmaelites. Who had taken him there? Like a piece of meat sold on the market, they bought him, a human being. And he became a servant, a servant and a slave in the house of Potiphar. Now think about it, guys. 17 years old. But in verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. And he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes. And he became the attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and entrusted to his care everything he owned. Soon as a young man, he was running the house. And this was no poor individual. This was a wealthy man with his fields and his servants. Potiphar became... He became, if you will, the tender of all of Potiphar's wealth as a young man. For God's favor was with him. But notice what happens in the latter part of verse 6. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself about anything in the house. Everything he owns, he is entrusted to my care. And no one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you. Because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. You know the story. It's not a new one. 
you know, how the day finally came when he was in the house and she had sent the servants away and she caught him, just him and her, put themselves in a bad situation. And when he tried to run to get away from that situation, she grabbed his outer garment and pulled it off of him. Then she, when the husband came home, said, look what your servant has tried to do. Verse 19. When the master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger, and Joseph's master took him and put him in prison and placed him there where the king's prisoners were confined. He who had become the head of the household was now imprisoned. Why? He was trying to do a good thing. He was trying to be a good man. He was trying to do the right thing. And yet it appears as we come to this part of the story that in spite of his honesty, his decency, and even his morality, it seemed like he was being punished when he was doing right. You know, I have a sneaky suspicion, now listen to me, that if God hadn't stirred the pot, Joseph would have been content to spend the rest of his life as a slave in Potiphar's house. I guess what I'm trying to say to you guys, this wasn't all bad. You follow me? Sometimes God has to kind of prod us on in life to get us from where we are to where we need to be. Sometimes as parents, God has to awaken us to get us from where we are to where we need to be spiritually if we're going to lead our children to know Christ, to live with Christ, and to serve Christ. Sometimes God has to prod us in our education and in the different facets of our life to move us from where we are to where he needs us to be. A whole nation was at stake. The days were coming a few years in the future when a great famine would occur. When people would literally starve to death and God was putting this young boy in a position that when the day came, He could step to the position he needed to be in to not only save Egypt, but to save all of his family and the Savior yet to be born in the future. God had a plan. Does that mean God made his brother sell him? No. Does that mean that God made this woman try to take advantage of him? No. But it means that even with the worst the devil can throw at us, God has a way of turning it around. Isn't that something? I like that, don't you? Even the worst the old devil can throw at us, God has a way of turning it around, using it to our advantage. If we will just trust him and follow him. We don't have to be behind bars to identify with Joseph. We all fight our prisons. It may be a job that you hate. That you go to every day because it's the way you provide for your family. You don't like it, but you do it. And you do it faithfully for the sake of your home. It may be something altogether different. It may be the work with too little pay and too too much stress. We can feel imprisoned sometimes by poor health, by poverty. Kids, even by parents, they love you, but sometimes you kind of feel imprisoned in life by school or a broken relationship or a thousand and other circumstances that we don't understand. 
But the question is, are we going to walk with God through them? Or are we going to turn our backs on God? What are we to do when life is less than the best? What are the principles that Joseph reached out and grasped that helped him succeed? I think one thing we need to realize is that he refused to give up on God. He kept trusting God even though one minute he has a dream of great success and the next minute he's a slave. One minute he's a slave doing okay and the next minute he's thrown in prison. No matter where he seemed to turn, it seemed like it ended up wrong. What did Joseph do? He used his skills to serve. In the latter part of this chapter, I want to pick up in verse, uh, verse 21. And the Lord was with him, and he showed him kindness, and he granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there, and the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and he gave him success in whatever he did. What's the point? He used his skills to serve God where God put him. Listen to me. He used his skills to serve God where God put him. That's what our challenge is today. Guys, we're going back to school. Teachers, we're going back to school. Will we use our skills to serve God where he has placed us? Parents in the work environment, the world in which we live, will we use our skills to serve God right there, right now? You say, Brother Ken, I want a new job bad. You may need a new job bad. But would you say, God, until you give it to me, would you help me serve you faithfully right where you've got me right now? I want us to notice what he didn't do. Joseph didn't wallow in self-pity. He didn't plunge himself in depression, wallowing in self-pity. I'm going to tell you, that's a temptation for me. Is that a temptation for you? Poor me. Things are bad today. That's one thing Joseph refused to do. I'm going to tell you, there's an old saying. Concerning pity. We love company when we complain and hurt. But company don't love us. You follow me? When we whine and complain about life, nobody wants to be around us. And you wonder, what drove them away? The one thing Joseph didn't do is he didn't plunge himself into self-pity. He didn't give in to anger. He would not rob his master of his wife even to save himself. He refused to give in to the anger. You know, I'm convinced the reason Joseph wasn't killed was because the master knew that he wasn't the real guilty one. And so he, he kind of put him away in the best of the prisons. The up Escalon, Escalon, if you will, a prison situation. We've heard about those kind of prisons, haven't we? They're kind of plush. And in a sense, that's where God saw that he was placed. He didn't give in to anger. He didn't give in to bitterness. 
had this happened, it would have shut him down right there. Nobody can build a worse prison for themselves than the prison walls of anger and hatred and bitterness. They make life miserable. And he refused to do this. But look at what he did do. Look at what he got. The Bible says that he got the presence of God. But while Joseph was there, the scripture says the Lord was with him. Are you surprised? I'm not. It's when the water is rising. It's when it's gone above our heads that it seems that God is nearest to us. I'm going to tell you what. You let your kids get in trouble. Or you get a bad health report that things don't look good. Or you lose your job and you'll seek God. When most of the time we just act like he doesn't exist and he's not even there. It is in our dark places and pits of pain that we go to the Bible. Not like a student goes to his textbook. But like a lost traveler goes to his map. To figure out where am I at? Where do I go from here? That's what Joseph did. He went to God to determine what is the next step in my life. Secondly, we need to be helping others. Not only did he serve God during this time, but he began to help others. The Bible tells us in the verses that follow that he he served others there. There were two prisoners that came down from, from the king. One was the baker, one was the wine steward. They were all depressed. They came to Joseph and they had had a dream. Joseph said, do you want me to try to interpret that for you in in an effort to help him? And the wine steward said, oh, yes, if you would. And, And he began to share with him. And then he interpreted the dream. And he said, basically, this is what it means. In three days, the king is going to raise you back up and he's going to give your position back. Well, then the baker thought, he got a pretty good report. I, I want to know what my dream is. And, and so he asked him, he told him his dream. He says, what does that mean, Joseph? And he says, well, I kind of hate to tell you, but in three days they're going to, well, they're going to hang you. And the bird's going to come eat you. And that didn't sound very good, but it was true. Three days later, the king's birthday came. He called both of these guys back up. He hung the baker, and he gave the wine steward his job back. Now, we don't know what was going on. You know, the baker may have been planning to poison the king. We really don't know, but the king knew. Joseph was helping others in the meantime. It has been 11 long years. He's not 17 anymore. He's 28. And he's wondering deep inside, will it ever get any better? Does God have a plan for me? Does God have a purpose for my life? Or is this where I'm going to spend the rest of my days? All of that would have been going through my mind. I don't know what was going through his. But he had done something else. While he was helping others, we need to help ourselves. Before I get to that, I want to share something with you, Carl Menninger, great psychiatrist once said he said if I felt myself slipping into a nervous breakdown I would go out immediately and find somebody to help 
What does that mean? When life is hard, the best thing we can do for ourselves is help somebody else. Don't sit around and feel sorry for yourself. Ask God, God, what can I do to help somebody else? We need to be helping ourselves. While Joseph gave that interpretation to this man, he said, listen, when, when he raises you back up, don't forget me. I, I haven't done anything wrong. I was sold into slavery. I am not guilty of anything to be in this dungeon. Please talk to the king about me. Days turn into weeks, weeks into months, months into years. Two years later, Joseph is now 30 years old. Two years later, king has a dream and it troubles him what does it mean these thin cows and fat cows and this these thin grain and this this full grain what does it all mean and nobody could interpret it and the wine steward came to the king and he said listen king when 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 you had gotten angry at us and thrown us into prison there was a young hebrew there that told me the interpretation of my dream and everything he told me in the butler or the baker rather was right and I believe he can help you O king and so they brought Joseph up and they shower he had him showered and shaved to make him look a little better you know <laughs> and brought him before the king and you know the story he interpreted the dream for the king we need to help ourselves if my marriage is struggling, I go to God in prayer, but I also go to a counselor. That's not dumb, that's just good sense. If I'm lonely, I befriend someone, I do my part. If I'm out of work, I pray and ask God to help me, yes. But I get all the job applications I can find and I fill them out, right? I help myself as I pray and ask God to intervene. That's what Joseph did when he talked to the wine steward. Fourth, we need to be waiting on God. And he had for two long years. He hadn't give up. He hadn't quit. He just kept trusting God and praying. I can't imagine the struggle of those days and weeks and months. There's a passage in Proverbs 13, verse 12 that says, When hope is deferred, the heart is crushed. Kids, what does that mean? That means when the answer doesn't come quickly, we get discouraged. I'm going to tell you something. I want you to listen to this real quick if you don't hear anything else. When we live for God and trust God and walk with God, sooner or later, God will bless hear me? Sooner or later, God will bless. Giving God the credit, he told King what the dream meant. He says, King, this is what's going to happen. For seven years, the crops are going to be great. The corn is going to grow. The grain is going to grow. The wheat's going to grow. For seven years, we're going to have more than we know what to do with. But after that, there are going to be seven thin years. There's not going to be anything to eat. 
You need to appoint someone, put someone in charge to take a fifth of everything that grows in those seven good years and store it so that when the seven bad years come, there will be food that you can share with Egypt and the rest of the world. And the king said, can we find anybody smarter than this young man to do this job? <laughs> That's Brother Ken paraphrase, okay? And he said, I will make you second in command in all the land of Egypt. Why did it take 13 years? Because it took 13 years for God to take a spoiled, pampered, arrogant teenager... And turn him into the kind of man he needed to be. For God to do what God needed to do in the lives of his people. Don't take me wrong. Even that spoiled teenager had a great heart. He just needed to learn a few things along the journey. And sometimes so do you and I. So much so that a couple of years later his firstborn son would be born. He would call him Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my troubles. What are you trying to say, Brother Ken? I'm trying to say that if we will trust God, walk with God, and follow God, God can and he will open the doors to new opportunities and new blessings in our life. We need to serve God right where we are. I don't care how old it is. We need to serve God helping others. We need to serve God helping ourselves. And all this time, we need to wait on God for the things we can't do and be patient as God works in the backdrop of our lives. Let me ask you something. You got a lost husband at home? You pray God will touch him, and you pray it every day. And in the meantime, you do all you can to point him to Jesus. We got lost kids at home. We pray God will touch them in the meantime. We do all we can to show them what the love of Jesus means in the way we treat others and the way we live out our lives. We do what we can in the meantime. We pray for God's intervention when the days come. I don't know the need in your heart this morning, but God does. You may be here this morning say, Brother Ken, I've never trusted Jesus as my Savior. But deep down, I know I need Him. I invite you in this moment as we sing a song and have what we call an invitation. I invite you to come forward and kneel with me. And let's pray and invite Jesus in your life. You may say, Brother Ken, I'm already Christian, but I've never been baptized. Jesus told us to be baptized as a way of saying to a lost world, He has saved me on the inside. I want to show you on the outside what He's done for me. You may say, I need to commit my life to be an example for Christ. I invite you to come, whether it's to the altar to pray, or that I might pray with you, whatever the need in your heart.